All right, so you know it's going to be a good sermon when the, uh, the speaker starts off with a disclaimer. So here we go. Um, if you want to know where this came from, I stole this from Paul. Um, it's in Ephesians. This is the disclaimer that, that God gave me last night. Grace saves you. It's a free gift. All you can do is accept it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. God gave it. Jesus earned it. No amount of good deeds will get you into heaven. I say that because I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about work. So I, I'm going to start off with my journey here. Um, ironically, journey, journey, uh, no pun intended. But it was probably a couple months ago, four or five months ago, God, God called me out to something. And when God calls you to something, well, you just get, you just get excited. You're like, all right, God, yeah, Ooh, let's do this. And so you're like, I'm all in, let's do this. What's this look like? And we just completely forget that God called us. And so we just immediately like, all right, God, you called me, I got this. Let's just, let's go for it. And we almost forget to have that dialogue with him. And so this, this whole message, I'm going to kind of intermix what God has kind of worked on me lately, and in that past four months since he's called me to something, kind of what exactly that means and, and what that means for you personally. So as Sean was talking last week in Haggai, uh, which I forgot was in the Bible, um, personally, he, I was like, oh yeah, minor prophet, right? So uh, if you want to read it, it's two chapters, it's not long. I know I, I read it a couple times. Because after, after last Sunday, I, I, want, I went out and I went for a run, which is something I've kind of got addicted to. If you don't know what running is, you're probably more righteous than me because the Bible does say, uh, the wicked run when no one pursueth. So I've become a very wicked person. Uh, but I found that when I run, even if I'm listening to music, it's like there's no distractions. God can just clearly speak to me. So I highly advocate running for you, uh, despite what the Old Testament may say about you being wicked for doing it. So I, I'm, I'm starting to run, and I keep hearing this, this verse in Haggai that, that Sean kept going on about. I'm like, man, this is, this is really working on me. And God's really speaking through it. And so we're going we're gonna to start off, I'm going to read uh, kind of a bigger picture of what's going on. So, and I've included, I almost edited out all the crazy names in here, but the Lord was like, no, no, I want to see you struggle over those in front of people. So <laughs> here we go. So this is literally the start of Haggai. This is Haggai uh, chapter one. Again, there's only two of them, and we're going to go to verse 11. So uh, on the August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of God, the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are never satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you now. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. 
Then I will take pleasure in you and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. And so I'm sure you're thinking, oh man, that's awesome, Jake. Really good stuff. Glad I don't harvest olives or wine. Uh, so the Lord's working on this in me, and I'm, and I'm running, and this is, this is kind of going through my mind, and the Holy Spirit starts saying, you know, what are you doing to build your legacy? What are you doing to build your legacy? And I'm like, huh, what am I doing to build my legacy? And the Holy Spirit's like, hot, now I got you. See, you shouldn't be focused. That's, that's the lie the devil tells you. What are you doing to build your legacy? What is it you're doing to build your legacy here on earth? The thing that you're going to be remembered for in your career, at your job, your titles, your school, where your kids go to school, where your kids play sports. All these things. What are you doing to leave a legacy behind? Because the devil's got that auto running in your head. He's trying to get you. Yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? So the lie is that the tangible things you do to build the kingdom of God is building your legacy, but it's about your legacy. It's about your legacy. And that's what I realized that had been going on in my life. The Holy Spirit was saying... You've listened to that lie for a while now, haven't you? What are you doing to build your legacy? At your work, I worked really hard to try to get a job. At, I worked as a police officer, and it was my dream and very early on in my career to work at the academy, to be an academy instructor. I really, really wanted that. I didn't get it. Now, I didn't get it, not because the Lord wouldn't have given it to me. The Lord would have given it to me, even though it was the, not the right thing for me. But I did pray, Lord... I don't want this if it's not what you want. So the Lord was nice enough to see, loving enough to see what I really wanted was not what I thought I wanted. But I was doing it to build my legacy so I could leave a lasting impression within the new recruits coming up. So that I could do something. I, in my head, I was building the kingdom of God because I'd be a Christian light at the academy and I'd be able to instill that in these recruits. But that wasn't my motivation for doing it. My motivation was me, them remembering how awesome an instructor Jake Sapp was. And then they'd carry that their career and they'd go, well, I want to be just like Jake Sapp was. And that would be the legacy I would leave behind, the legacy I would leave my department. That would be the tangible thing I had done to build the kingdom of God but it was really my legacy I was really worried about. And whatever that looks like for everyone is different. I mean, I, I doubt there's anyone here that can say, oh yeah, I want to be an academy instructor at a police academy. See, that's the thing. It's a tailor-made lie. The lie to build your legacy looks different from everyone. That's why I gave you just a brief, brief 
summary up there of what those things are. Tangible things done to build your legacy equals building the kingdom of God. That's what Satan's telling you. What you're doing to build your legacy is really building the kingdom of God, right? Because you're a Christian, and whatever you're doing must therefore be building the kingdom of God, right? I mean, ergo... But the truth, the truth of the matter is what are you doing to build the kingdom of God? What are you doing to build the kingdom of God? Now, are we doing these works because we want to earn salvation? No. No. Going back to the disclaimer in the beginning, you can't earn salvation. You can't earn grace. But my guess is that God has called you to something. I don't know what that is. But God has probably called you to something. You know, not probably, God has called you to something. Now, if you don't know what that is, I can tell you the answer is you haven't asked. See, but we get so focused on the calling, and we go, well, the calling's supposed to look like this. This is the calling. This is the path to the calling. That's where I'm supposed to go, right? But that's not the way it works. I I try to come up with so many metaphors in my head, like, how does this look, Lord? And here's, here's one of the ones the Lord gave me. If you can imagine a puzzle, and there's a, there's a picture on there of any kind, in my head it's this, always this nice little babbling brook, it's my happy place. Um, there's trees, there's some happy trees to make, you know, because Bob Ross would be proud uh, if, my, if my happy place had some happy trees. And there's a sky up there, this beautiful light coming through the, the trees onto the babbling brook. But we look at that puzzle and if you took the, just the, the light breaking through the trees portion, well, yeah, all these puzzle pieces make up the light coming through the trees. But none of those puzzle pieces are the same. Not a, not a single one of them. All of them is very, very unique. And we get called to something, and we think, oh, this is, this is what it's supposed to look like, right? Because this is what Joe's doing. This is what Chris is doing. You know, so it's supposed to look like this, right? Like, this is what it's supposed to look like? But the calling in your life is unique to you. That puzzle piece is unique. Every speaker you've had up here so far has a unique calling in their life. And although in some ways we all speak, not any of us have sounded the same. If we are, I'd be a televangelist and be making a whole lot more money. I could learn from Chris. <laughs> so if you haven't heard Chris speak, some of you got that. If you hadn't heard speak, Chris speak, uh, you should. But here's the thing. So I'm called out to something, and I'm like, all right, Lord, we're doing this. I'm all in. Uh, I drugged the wife. She's finally like, you know what? Uh, she, she comes to accept it. She's like, all right. If this is what God has us to do, if we got to sell the house, we'll sell the house, talk to the realtor and everything. And nothing's happening. 
And I'm like, Lord, what, what are we doing? You said this was it. I've got this big old square peg, and I've got nothing but round blocks to put in it. What, what are we doing? And so here's the thing. I, I, was, sitting, I was sitting back there at Elevate, and it was the, uh, the pizza night. Um, so they have a little guest speaker up on video, and it's, it's usually pretty awesome. Uh, at least for me it is. And he's talking about the calling of God in your life. And he's talking about what you're doing. What are you doing? And why aren't you asking? And I thought, I know I'm not asking because I don't want to know the answer. Because here's the thing, we're, we're called, and that seems great, but we want the calling to match the legacy that we have in our head. We want the calling of God to look like this when it's called to be like that. So we can be called to jump off the cliff, and we're like, I'm jumping off the cliff. And then goes, whoa, hey, we might jump off the cliff, but let's hold up. And so I'm, I'm running, and, and the Lord's giving me this, and you're wanting to build your house. You want to build your house. You don't want to build my kingdom. And I said, okay. But I remember as I'd stood back there, I'd ask God, what does this look like? I know what you've called me to, but what is it you want me to do? He said, be faithful with what I've given you. Now, here's the thing. You're like, oh, well, he's probably given you a lot, Jake. I, I don't know. Um, but you know what he did give me that the Lord has put on my heart? He said, I gave you a wife, a son, and a daughter. Tell me, what are you doing to build the kingdom of God in their lives? What are you doing to build my kingdom here on earth in them? That hit hard. Because you get called to something great and you think it's going to be, oh yeah, like, ah, this is going to be amazing. People will remember me forever. And then because, oh, well, um, let's, let's work on this other stuff. Remember all that stuff you've ignored and kind of not paid as much attention to? Let's work on that stuff. And so I had to evaluate what is it I'm doing? What steps am I taking? If I'm called to do this, what am I actually doing? Because Aaron gave, I think, my favorite analogy of God calling you to do something. And so I'm going to steal it from him because it, it, it works here. You know, you, you tell your kids to clean their room, and they go, okay, yeah, all right. And, and then an hour later, the room's not clean. They're like, what would you do to clean the room? Uh, well, we, we talked about it. Um, we really talked about what you had said about cleaning the room. And we had a Bible study about it. And there was a lot of great points brought up. Uh, you know, we really feel like we're getting a clearer picture of what it means like to clean the room. Uh, but is the room clean? No, 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 it's, it's not. 
clean yet, but you know we're 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 praying about it. <laughs> That's what the Lord was saying. I I, I called you. I, I called you out, and then I told you what to do. And what have you done since then? And I, I somebody last week said it's like I got God smacked, and I'm telling you what it was like. The Lord just came along and went pew, right over the back of my head. What have you done since I, I told you to do that? And I'm like, whoa, whoa. nothing um, tangible that you could really say I, I've done. Uh, and so I finished that run, and the Lord said, calendar, right now. I want you to put in your calendar. I want you to put on there a date with your wife. I want you to put on there... Uh, I'm going to say a time spent with my son, um, and then I want you to put a date with your daughter. Because Sean said something last week about your checkbook, which uh, you know most of us don't have, but you can see where the money goes, where your time is invested, is just like that checkbook. And that for me, money, money's never been an issue for me. I, I'm, I'm not saying that because I'm better than anybody else. Uh, I just I don't struggle with giving money away. I struggle more with keeping it. Uh, it's just that that may be more of a struggle for me. But my time, ooh, we bumped up against something that I have a, mm, it's my time. But if you look at my calendar, where's my time going? I want it to be for building the kingdom of God. Well, for me, that looks very different than you. But I needed to invest my time in building the kingdom of God. And God told me that was my wife and my children. Now, to the world, it's not glamorous. I'm not going to come at the end of it with a medal. Many people, with the exception of those three, my wife and kids won't really know what I've done. My Christian family may not say, well, what are you doing to build the kingdom of God? If God's called you this, what are you doing to build that? I'm doing this. That looks nothing like that. You're right. It doesn't look anything like that, but I'm on my own journey, doing my own thing with Christ. If God took all of us in this room and said, let's go build a house... Well, we'd probably start separating people out by things they could do. Oh, you can do, you know, concrete. You can do wood. You can hang drywall. Um, they put me in a pile of people. It's like, all right, what do you need me to grab? Okay, a hammer? Any hammer's going to work. All right, I-, I got that. So I'd be in, in the gopher category, for sure. And they might be like, well, I, you can measure and cut some wood, too. Like, there, there's... But here's the thing, in all those categories, we wouldn't all be doing the same thing, but we expect that in the kingdom of God for some reason. The devil convinces us, oh, well, if you get called to do this, it's got to only look like what that one person is doing. And when it wasn't look like what that one person is doing, we tend to go, oh, well, I mean, if it's not like that one thing, then uh, I must not be doing it right, so I'm just not going to do anything. Because I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait, Lord, and I'm going to pray about what you called me to do. And I'm just going to, I'm going to really meditate. And I'm not, I'm not knocking those things. I'm not. But there's a point 
where we're just not doing anything, where we're just standing still and going, all right, Lord, whenever you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. And I mean, whenever you tell me to do something I want to do is when I'm going to do something. And that's the truth of it is we, we want to make the kingdom of God look like what we want to make it look like. We want to do our own thing. I've been talking a lot with Jake, uh, Jake Phillips, actually. Um, if you don't know, he's the one that's named Jake, and he's a cop. He is the pastor's brother. Because those are the three things like, oh, you're Jake. You're the cop. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not the pastor's brother. <laughs> we, we, we talked about a lot, and one of the things he said is, are we investing in people? Where... Are we investing our time, our money, our effort in people? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, I only see what my father does, and then that's what I do. And then Jesus went off and found 12 guys and invested his life in them. Jesus invested in people because Jesus knew that building the kingdom of God was building them in people. But we don't necessarily like that idea because, yeah, it may, from just a worldly point of view, it may feel good, but I mean, where, where are the benefits? If I invest my time, Sean talked about this last week, if I invest my time in someone and they squander it, well, I just wasted my time. That's what we, we get this righteous indignation that, that we waste our time. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus invested in people. One of those betrayed him, and he knew it before he started. The other one denied him three times when he had the opportunity, and the rest of them just all ran away. And Jesus knew that going in. How many of our relationships would end, would be non-starters, wouldn't even get off the ground if we knew, hey, uh, one month, two months, five years, 10 years down the road, 12 years, 20 years down the road, you won't even speak to that person anymore. Would we even invest our time? Would we plant knowing we may never see a reward simply because God called us to plant? The devil wants to get us in that spot where we're just standing. Because if he can't convince us that the kingdom of God looks like building our legacy, then he'll convince us just to stay and wait. He begins to tell us this lie, well, that, that, that God of the Old Testament doesn't exist anymore. You know, there's... That, that God's, I mean, God's loving and all-knowing and just, ah, 60s, peace and love, baby. And to some degree, with it, not like that, but God gave us a new covenant. God sent His Son to give us a new covenant. But we get in this, the devil's like, well, grace is all you need. It's all you need, baby, because God is love. 
And here's the hard truth. The hard truth is the God of the Old Testament is still alive today. Yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. God gave us a new covenant. So does that mean our works, like we used to, you have to work to earn grace? No. No. But we can't just sit there and go, oh, grace is all I need. Grace is all I need. But God's, God's called us to do something. God's called us. God's called you to do something. You in a unique way that I will never be able to do. I can't even tell you what that is. Unless the Holy Spirit comes up and goes, hey, tell that person this. And if he told me to do that, to tell you that, it's probably because you weren't listening to him. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Obedience is the key that opens every door. Obedience. There's this, this sermon series has so many other... If you haven't heard all of the exposing the lie of the sermon series, you, this to me is pulling so much from all those other ones. You really need to go back and get all of them because you're getting just a little bit of all of them in so many ways. Because here, the parable of the talents. I, I was lying awake last night. I was, I was really challenged by delivering this to you. And, and during that time, I was just open. I'm like, all right, Holy Spirit, what are we going to do? It's two in the morning and I want to sleep, but what do you got? And he struck me with the parable of the talents. The master calls together his servants, and we won't go down to it, but the master calls together his servants. It doesn't say the master called together one servant, and then he called another servant, he called another servant, and he called, you know, he, he got all three of them, and he's like separately, like, had a, hey, you, all right, um, go call in Joe, all right, Joe's gone, all right, yeah, call in, uh, call in Dick, all right, that's good, send him out. No, he calls them all together, and he gives them different talents. The first you go out and do something. Now, you may be limited with the talent you have. You may think, well, I, I have a limit to my talent. So are we just going to do nothing with that? God's looking for reproduction, not because he needs it, but because he loves you. He wants to build his kingdom through you. Through you, God wants to partner with us. God's like, I could build my kingdom myself, but I don't want to. I want to build it in my people. I want to create this masterpiece. And when you get to heaven, I want to be like, you see this whole thing I made? That's what you did right there. That's what we did together. That's what I gave you the talent for. I gave you the talent I want you to use it. Not because we're required to obey, but because we love 
Right there, John 14, 15. We obey out of love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus said that. It's in the red, folks. Sorry, I'm not, this isn't the gospel according to Jake. If we love Jesus, we obey. One of the first things that the Holy Spirit told me last night was God asks so little of us. Now, you, you think, well, no, God asks a lot of things out of us. Yes, He does, absolutely. But if you ever notice, when you start walking with God, all He's really asking you to do is put one foot in front of the other. That's it. Just, he's like, we're going to walk down this path. You see that path? We're going to go there. Let's, let's go. Let's just start walking. Let's start walking. Let's talk. And hey, hey, Jake, here, here's like, I know I called you to do that really big thing. But listen, we got to work on some stuff together. So let's, let's go down this path. We're going to clear out some brush together. You know, it's going to start small. I've given you some talents. Let's, let's see how you use them. I've given you a family. How are you going to use that? Better yet, if my calling in your life only ever saw any benefit in your family, if I only invested in my family because the calling in my life was this and looked nothing like what it should, but I only invested in my family and did what I was called to do right now, if that's all that the path ever looked like, if God was like, no, just keep, keep being faithful with what I've given you, keep being faithful with what I've given you, keep being faithful with what I've given you, what would my legacy look like at the end of my life? If any of you were still there at the end of my life, if you got close enough, you might say, well, he, he really invested heavily in his wife and kids. Like, he, he spent a lot of time with them. You know, they're, they're, you know my, his son is a, a great Christian man. His daughter's an amazingly godly woman. His wife loved him and served with him. But on paper, my career... My name on a building? No, I'd have none of that stuff. I'd have nothing tangible. The world would say you've produced nothing tangible. Nothing I can see. Where is it? And I'd have to say, well, I, I, I guess I've invested tangibly in intangible things. I've invested in, in my wife and kids, in my church. I don't know what the benefits are to that. But I do it. I invest in little things. We need 100 volunteers. You may not see the benefit of any of that volunteering. I've worked the Connections team for a while. I get to meet new people. That's the real benefit for me is I get to meet new people. And then walk around the church and say, importantly, there's the coffee bar right there. If we need to start there, I understand. But I don't know what sort of benefit that has. I've taken my time and I've wrote a blank check to God. That's not my notes anywhere, folks. That just came to me. <laughs> So that's, that's the Holy Spirit for someone. 
Okay? Can you do that? Can you write, take your time, say, pay to the order of God, and then just leave it blank? And say, all right, Lord. It's all yours. Here's the coolest thing about Haggai. So, so God calls them. He says, he says, go build my temple. Go up into the hills, get timber, build my house, build my kingdom. This is my favorite, and this is two different times the Lord does this. In Haggai 1, 13 through 14, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. Jumping ahead to Haggai 2, 4 through 5. Be strong, all you people still left in the land, and now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, so do not be afraid. God calls us to something, says let's get to work, and then sparks enthusiasm within, within us when we obey. Because God said, go build my house. And the people said, we're going to build God's house. The moment they chose to do that, he sparked enthusiasm within them. So here's the thing. God calls you to something, says do something, and then gives you the motivation to do it. I mean, that's unreal. All you got to do is walk. I mean, one foot in front of the other. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I wanted to keep doing this. If you think I'm lying, I went on a date with my wife today. We went to Seva. If you love Indian food, I am so happy for you. I love my wife. And I like some of the things at Seva. They do have a, like a good coconut soup thing. I know that sounds weird. And, but in reality, just short of the liquids and the rice, nothing at Seva makes me go, woo! But you know what? I was enthusiastic about going. Because I got to sit across from the woman that God gave me. Because initially when I put the date on the calendar, I was like, well, we'll go to Overflow. Uh, I won't plug Overflow a bunch, but it's a, it's a great place you should go. It's right. It is amazing. Uh, just a little humble brag there on it. But then, then it was like the Lord was like, why don't you take her to Seva? She really likes Seva which is a really cool name. By the way, Seva means to serve. Um, I checked that. I was like, that's really cool. I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's go to Seva. I told her. I said, she's like, well, you don't really like a lot of the stuff there. I'm like, eh, that's true, but I still want to go. I mean, they got rice. They have bread. They have <laughs> chai tea. I'm, I'm, I can literally list off the five things I desire to go to Seva for, and that's the, the rice, the bread, the chai tea, the, this mango orange yogurty drink that I know it's, it sounds weird, but it's good. And then the coconut soup. And that's the only reason I long to go to Seva. In reality, I could probably get those other places. But what I can't get is time invested in my wife and the place she wants to go. The enthusiasm is there. I was excited to go. 
I was excited to go. Curry is on my, high on my list of things I'm never excited about. One might say disdain. The smell of curry alone, also high on my list of things I do not like. And I say that just to say what God does within us. He sparks an enthusiasm within us that makes even the unsavory things seem savory. The things that we said, no, no, not that God, seem like, oh yeah, that God, that's what I want to do. There's a couple challenges, and I, I, it was the, the thing I was probably up so late about with last night is, is the, the challenges. Like, the Lord kept giving me these challenges to me that I was supposed to pass on, and I was like, oh, Lord, like this, I, people might not like me. He's like, oh, it's, who cares? I'm like, well, there's a part of me that kind of cares, Lord. Please take that away from me. So we're going to jump, we're going to jump, uh, jump a little ahead in Haggai or somewhere in Haggai. It's a, again, as I said, it's a small book. Read it all. Haggai 2, 11 through 13. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Ask the priest this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive, oil, or any other kind, will it become holy? The priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean, by touching a dead person then touches any of these foods, will the foods be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. And you're like, how the heck is, is Jake going to make this seem like, well, this is, here's the thing. I, as I was reading this scripture, as I was reading all of it, listening to all of it, it was like the Lord kept modifying it for the modern church. He's like, here's how this looks today. Here's how this looks today. And here's how this looks today. Knowing and hanging out with someone building the kingdom of God isn't building the kingdom of God. I keep picking on Chris. It's because I like him. I'm like, oh, man, you should see all the great stuff Chris is doing. I'm going to hang around Chris. Chris is going places. He's doing stuff. Building the kingdom of God. Building the kingdom of God with Chris. No? No, that... Just because I hang around with Chris doesn't mean I'm building the kingdom of God. My mom used to like to put it this way growing up about everything. I swear, everything she said came back to, well, just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. It was like her thing. She could work anything into that. It was nuts. Why want to go hang out with them? Well, why do you want to go hang out with them? Because I want to do this. Well, you think it's going to make you that? Just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. She used to say that about Christians all the time, too. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. If I brush up next to somebody building the kingdom of God and think I'm doing it, I'm not doing it. Now, we may build the kingdom of God together. We may come alongside together and be like, well, it's time to, it's time to hang the drywall. And again, Jake's not good at a lot of things. But Jake can hold up drywall while somebody else screws it in. I at least know that much how it works. You gotta, there's gotta be a, you can't just touch the ground. There's my knowledge of hanging drywall. Here's the other thing. Going to church isn't building the kingdom of God. Just showing up isn't doing it. 
I'm going to put it in a way that it was once put to me, and this is, this is a hard truth. He once said, if you're not coming into church with the idea that you're going to reproduce, that something you do in here isn't going to somehow build the kingdom of God out there, then you might as well not come. He said, don't show up. Why waste your time? He's like, why, why would you come to church? You could watch football or a movie or go outside and enjoy the sunshine. Or, you know, at this point, go get a cup of coffee somewhere, preferably overflow. <laughs> you could be doing any number of things. If you don't show up looking to reproduce or searching for something, searching for something, then there's really no point in you being here. I mean, I like all of your faces, at least what I can see. The, the lights seem to have gotten a lot brighter. I, there's, a, there's a shadowy spot over here I want to hide in because I can see all of you. We have to reproduce because God's called us to do it. God showed us how to do it if we're willing to ask. Now we've got to put some feet in front of the other. We're coming to the end here, at least I think we are. We, there's no time limit at the Saturday evening service? Forever. Forever. Perfect. I'm so glad you guys came to the service for the first and last time, or just the, for sure the last time. I'm going to kind of tie this up with, with the paradox that this whole sermon was, or at least kind of come in for a landing. Because Richard Poor once told me, he's like, when you start a sermon, you, you better have an idea how to end it. He's like, because it's like a plane taking off with nowhere to land. So we're coming, we're coming in for a landing. So I'm going to read. This is, this is kind of a big passage, but this is out of James 2, and it's out of the Message Bible, which I, I go to every now and again for a little more poetic. And this is what the sermon is talking about. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance... You come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starred and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works works and faith fit together hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you'd done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? That faith expresses itself in works? That works are the works of faith? The full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his actions. It's that mesh of believing and acting that God, that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that the person is made right with God, not by barren faith, but by faith fruitful in works? 
The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape? That seamless unity of believing and doing. What counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing. A corpse. That was pretty vivid. I I don't normally jump to the Message Bible that often, but I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me there. A corpse. That's not what I want to be called. Because if you separate the two and try to be one or the other, that's what we become, a corpse. What's the first thing anyone says about a corpse? It's lifeless. It's devoid of life. God wants to live within us, work within us to build his kingdom. God wants to partner with us. To me, that's amazing. God wants to work in me to show, my lo- to show his love to my wife, to raise my son up to be a godly man to, so that maybe he won't make all the mistakes. I, I pray to God he won't make even a third of the mistakes, a tenth of the mistakes I made. So my daughter will know what a godly man looks like. So when she goes looking for a husband, she's not looking for love. She found that in a father. But she knows what a godly man should look like. So when the right man presents himself, she goes, that's, that's the one God wants. Not, I'm looking everywhere now. Again, I'm, I'm speaking of me here. I'm talking about what God's talking through me to do. What God, my action plan is to God's calling. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and and here's, here's what we're going for. And and this is going to be, this is going to be harsh. Because it means we're going to have to kill the flesh pretty hard. Give up your dreams, desires, and legacy. Build God's kingdom. Now, that sounds so negative. It, It does. Give all this stuff up, but, but Jake, you don't know what I, I've got, what I can, my vision is for the future. You can't see my dream. I can't. But I can tell you what my dream was. I shared in the beginning. I wanted to be an academy instructor. I wanted to. I wanted to so hard that the Bible would say I was kicking against the goads means the goat is what they prod the animals along with, and some animals are just dumb enough to try to kick back against a spike. That's what I was doing. I wanted to do that. That was my dream. God, how could you not appreciate my dream? God says his dream is great, but I've got a vision for you. Are you willing 
to lay down your dreams of yourself or God's dreams of you. Your desires for yourself or God's desires of you. And to build God's kingdom. Haggai 2.19, I give you a promise now while the seed is in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapes. Fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. When I, when I was praying, when I was running and the Lord was giving me this sermon, he said, here's what. I want this day to be a landmark for some people. I want some people to say, yes, this has challenged me. This has stirred up something within me that it's uncomfortable, but I know it's time to take my stuff and put them on the altar. It's time to accept the challenge that I'm going to build the kingdom of God, leaving everything behind and running for the prize. So as they play, here's what I want. I've told the youth before, the distance between your seat and right up here, at best, is probably 40 feet. God's in both those places. Coming up here is for you. Standing up here as the band plays, that's for you and for God And there's a third aspect of it because you are telling the devil no more. I'm done building my legacy. I'm going to build God's kingdom. So as the band plays, I welcome you to come up here. Stand. If God's calling you to kneel, kneel. But I saw people standing, accepting that challenge, saying, I'm giving up. giving in to you. There's a prayer that the Holy Spirit, and this is, this is a prayer that the Holy Spirit prompts me to pray so often, and I prompt you to pray it, or I would, I would urge you to pray it when you come up here. The prayer is simple. Your will, not my will. Your ways, not my ways. From this day until the end of my days. You're not coming up here for any acknowledgement for anyone else. This is for God, you, and so you can remind yourself from this day forward, no devil, mm -mm. I gave that up. I'm building God's kingdom.